The Tokyo Olympics were scheduled to be held in 2020, and now they will be held in, uh, on, beginning on Friday, July 23rd, 2021, ending on August 8th. Uh, there are two things that have really been impressed on my mind about the Olympics. Uh, the uh, first is, is that the pandemic has certainly made it a challenge, as if it's not difficult enough for athletes and spectators to get to the Olympics to begin with. This one is going to be totally different. And my hope and prayer is, is that it would be a great competition, that it would be free of people having to cancel because of COVID and all of the mess that goes with that. But another thing that has come out in the preparation of the Tokyo Olympics is, is that they had a trash drive uh, where they collected recyclable plastic. And they collected over uh, 25 tons of this plastic in order to make the podiums that the athletes are going to stand on. They wanted to make a point that uh, you could recycle plastic for a lot of uses and that something as noble as those that would stand and receive their gold medal, their silver medal, and their bronze medal would be able to stand on recycled trash. Uh, and I don't know about you, but ever since I was a child, I remember watching the Olympics on a small black and white television set, uh, always impressed with the greatness and achievement of those that were participating always great when your own nation does better than any others, but I appreciated anybody who aspired to greatness. The Bible tells us that just like the Olympics, there's going to come a time when God is hoping to say of us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the time that this is most likely going to happen is, is during a judgment that's held in heaven. And it's, it's not a judgment of where, whether you're going to be in heaven or not, but a judgment of the believer where there's an award for excellence. We find this in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and he calls it the Bema seat, or the seat of award, the seat of judgment and recognition. And uh, just like in the Tokyo Olympics, um, have you ever thought about where you'll stand? Uh, you know, I never thought in any way that I could ever aspire to any kind of greatness and be in the Olympic competitions. But through my life, I've always tried to do better at the things that I do, never succeeded in any sport that had to do with a ball, and the smaller the ball, the harder it was for me to deal with it, and uh, I could just tell you some great stories of all of my frustrations through the years, but there's been other sports that I've been able to do okay at, and, and you, you just push yourself, and you compete against yourself, and you compete against others that are like that. But in the Christian faith, have you ever thought about what it is you're really striving to do, and whether you can accomplish it? I know that we haven't thought much about whether we're ever going to be in the Olympics or not, but have you thought about being in God's competition? Have you thought about being in God's plan? And what we're going to look at today is, is that if, if you were to decide today whether you were to go into the Olympics, most of us sitting here, if not all of us sitting here, would say, I don't have a chance, and I wouldn't know where to begin or what to do. But the Bible tells us that we have everything that we need to participate in godliness. And so often we tend to look at people that we think are godly, we tend to look at people that have some sense of holiness about them and a, the ability to just, you just know that they've been in the presence of God. And we say there's no way that we could achieve to the things that they have achieved to. The darkness of our hearts is too great and the sin that has overtaken us has entangled us and tripped us up. And we can't run with endurance the race that God has set out for us. But the scriptures make it really plain that we have everything that we need to participate in godliness. And what we want to do over the next few weeks is take a look at a series of messages from 2 Peter. 
I love to go to certain places where you get a different perspective on the godliness that God wants us to be a part of. In the Old Testament, you find out that there is this long list of sacrifices and worship in the temple courts. And all of that had to do with looking forward to and foreshadowing what Jesus would accomplish on the cross. That the problem of sin was going to be a great problem to be remedied. And it was going to involve the shedding of blood and the incredible pain that Christ would experience on the cross. So if you wonder what the Old Testament is all about, it's all about, could you just imagine having to repeat the sacrifice over and over and over again to be reminded that your sin needed to be dealt with and your sin needed to be forgiven. I love the person of Jesus. The scriptures all look forward to him and look back on him. And he shook up the religious establishment of his day. And his perspective was one where the Pharisees thought that you could achieve righteousness by just keeping a long list of laws. And unfortunately, many of us are like the Pharisees. We, we make our own list of laws. And if we think we can just meet a minimal acceptable rate, we'll be okay and we're going to make it. But Jesus shook them all up and he says, I want your heart to be pure. I want your mind to be set on me and on the Father. And then I like the perspective of those that got to be with Jesus. And in particular, John and Peter. Two that were the closest friends to Jesus. And had a perspective that radically changed their life. Because they had not only seen Jesus during his earthly life, but had seen him in his resurrection. And had seen him in his glory. And that revelation of Jesus in his glory contrasted with his life on this earth and his death on the cross gave John and Peter an incredible perspective on what it is to try to strive for godliness. And it was Peter that more clearly than anyone else made the statement that we've got everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. As Peter begins his letter in 2 Peter chapter 1, he does what John does and what Paul does, all ones that had a witnessed the glory of God in the person of Jesus. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God our Savior and Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so there's two things I want to point out about this as to where Peter's coming from. Peter was one of the greatest leaders in all of the church Jesus had said to Peter that upon this rock I will build my church. And Peter had the privilege of being there in the New Testament times when the Holy Spirit went forth to the Jewish people, went forth to the Samaritans, and when it went forth to the Gentiles. And Peter was great in all this, but when he writes his letter, he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. I am one that has been sent by Jesus Christ. This doesn't have anything to do with me, but it has all to do with Jesus and then the second thing we find here is, is his greatest desire for the church was that they would know grace and peace. May it be theirs in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. When we met for prayer this week, we realized that there were a lot of burdens that a lot of people in our church are carrying. And, and it's robbing a lot of people of the peace that they have in their life. And, and our prayer for each and every one of you is, is that you would know the grace and peace in abundance that comes our knowledge of God and of Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to begin to work our way through this first section of 1 Peter. I want to discover what it means to unpack that we have everything that we need to participate in godliness. And it'll help us to understand a little bit more that it doesn't belong just to the pastor 
or to the elders or to the women that meet for prayer or to those that minister in the church, but it is for each and every one of us that we participate in godliness. I call godliness in the New Testament throughout my pastoral ministry one of the mantles that the Christian refuses to wear. Don't feel that we're, we don't feel that we're worthy of it. We don't feel like it's something that we should wave around, and indeed it's not something that you parade around, but it should be a part of what you are and everything that you're aspiring to. And so the first thing that we find is, is that Peter tells us that we have an empowered calling. Uh, if you're familiar with the J.K. Rowling books, uh, Harry Potter, and uh, the whole series, this young wizard is sent on a mission uh, to accomplish something, and one of the themes is, is he doesn't have a clue what he's looking for, and after he finds them, he's supposed to destroy them. He doesn't have a clue how to destroy them. And the Christian often feels like that, that God has asked them to do something, and they don't know what they're looking for and what it is, how they're going to accomplish it. But you have an empowered calling. God has given you the command to seek godliness. And he said, I'll give you everything that you need to get there. And Peter, being one of the closest of those to Jesus, seemed to understand it better than anyone else as he explains it in this passage. And so in 2 Peter 1.3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And it's by God's authority, it's by God's enablement, it's by God's ability that we're going to be able to achieve what has been given to us in Jesus Christ. And you need to not fear godliness. You need to realize that it is something that is to be born in you of the Spirit of God. And so there is a synergy that's supposed to work together. You with the life that God has given you as a created being and the Spirit of God working in you. And so there's many of the passages of Scripture, especially in the letters of Paul and in John and in Peter, that ask you to walk in obedience and do certain things. Peter, later on, is going to tell us to make every effort to do certain things. But we also know and understand that all of what we're supposed to accomplish is to be born of the Spirit's working in us, and it's born of God. And so when Paul was writing to the Galatian church, they were struggling with trying to understand the balance between the law and grace. He said, you need to understand this, that the fruit of the Spirit that is born in your life the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. Don't take credit for it yourself. It is supposed to be the work of God's Spirit through your life. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. So when you get on your knees and you say, God, I'm struggling with godliness and I'm struggling with obedience to you, the one thing you do not want to tell them is, is you haven't given me what, what I need. What is more likely is, is, God, I need to discover what you've given me Help me to find it in your word. Help me to find it in your spirit. Help me to find it in the encouragement of the saints. And help me to live it out in my life. Because I've got it all. The second thing that he says here is, is that through these things, he's given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world caused by evil desires. One of the things that the scripture uh, that I love about the scripture is its incredible honesty about the heart of mankind. When I was growing up and I saw the darkness of my own heart, even as a child, my ability to lie and my ability to disobey my parents, my ability to hide things from teachers and, and do things that I shouldn't be doing, I was very much aware of the evil desires that were present in my own life. 
And the older that I got, the more serious the implications and the consequences for the evil desires um, became. And we all know of that pull in our lives to what is wrong. And the Scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Scriptures tell us that every one of us needs the help of Jesus Christ and His Spirit to be set free from all of that. But what we're also told here is, is that through what has been given to us, He's given us His very great and precious promises. And His promise is, is that what He began in forgiving you at Calvary, He'll complete all the way through eternity. And that you just need to not give up. You need to stay the course. You need to run with endurance the race that is set out for you. And you need to make it your goal to participate in the divine nature. You need to make it your goal to escape the corruption that's in the world caused by evil desires. You need to look at what God has done for you and it needs to move you to do something for God. And so we have an empowered calling. We've been given everything that we need. But the second thing is, is what are we supposed to make every effort to do? What on earth is it that God wants us to do? Uh, one of the things that I remember growing up is, is that common saying, you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And I was around farms just enough to know what this meant. And it was a rather interesting phenomenon. And uh, we are often like that. We have no sense of where we're going, but we're doing a lot. And every one of us every day expends a great deal of energy for all kinds of things. But do we put every effort into seeking the things that God wants us to do? And Peter lays it out beautifully, just as Paul has done and just as John has done. He says in verse 5 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter, for this very reason, because we've been empowered to be a part of the divine nature, to partake of the divine nature and to seek godliness, he's going to tell us what that godliness looks like. And it's going to surprise you as we read through this what the, the divine nature actually looks like because Paul, John, and Peter, it all comes down to this. It looks like love. And so listen to this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. I want to unpack this just a little bit. Uh, you could take an entire sermon on every one of these uh, parts of the process of godliness but I want you to understand just a few things about it. The first thing is, is that godliness is something that we're to seek with every effort that we possibly can put forth. Um, I don't know whether, where it is that you put your effort into it, but if you think something is important, it's amazing what you'll do uh, in order to accomplish it. When I was in college, I fell in love with a beautiful young girl, and I rearranged my entire schedule so that I could meet her at various places on campus. Sometimes I would actually arrange my classes so that I could be someplace close to her or near to her. Um, we would change meal times so that we could be together. We changed everything uh, possible in order to be together. Uh, it's amazing what we'll do if we have a favorite television show. We'll block out everything else. We won't answer the phone. We'll just give our attention to that TV show. Uh, years ago, when I moved to my previous community in upstate New York, uh, a neighbor and I were watching a canoe race that went by our property on the Susquehanna River, and we said, boy, we'd really like to do that. 
And as we set out to do that, we realized very quickly that um, it was going to involve making a lot of effort. And so we learned how to train, and we learned how to canoe, and we, we took some tutoring and some uh, training from some people that were in the professional ranks. And we learned what we were supposed to do in order to get where we were going, and we made every effort to accomplish what God had given, or what we were trying to accomplish. And God says of the godliness and the Christian life, make every effort to do this. The starting place is faith. He says, add to your faith, and that's where we begin. We say, God, I'm going to trust you that Jesus is my Savior. I'm going to trust you that Jesus can pay for my sin, and I'm going to trust you that you can take me from where I am to where you want me to be. And that's often where our faith breaks down. We don't truly believe that God is able to take us where he needs us to go. And God says, believe and I will change you. And so it is that we're supposed to take each one of these things as a step along the way. And we begin with faith. And you just start by being good to one another. And Paul put it this way, be kind one to another. And uh, to your goodness, you're to add knowledge. Uh, and this is so crucial because in this day and age, uh, everybody thinks they know what's right. But the Christian's supposed to take a step back and humbly say, God, you are the one that knows what is right. What is it that your word says? And what is it that your word wants me to do? And then to your knowledge, you're to add self-control. And to me, this is one of the most crucial parts of all of this. Um, I didn't have a lot of self-control as a young person. Uh, and I had to learn through the years to discipline myself to study, to discipline myself to train, to discipline myself to pray and to do other things. It takes self-control, one of the fruit of the Spirit. But to the fruit, and then also, don't give up on the self-control, but to the self-control, you're to add perseverance. And the Scriptures talk a lot about perseverance, whether it's Hebrews chapter 12 or Paul in his letter to the Philippians. Uh, we're all to be persevering in what God has given us. And then to our perseverance, we're to add godliness. And we know what godliness looks like because we look at Jesus and the way that he lived his life the way that he cared for others, the way that he sacrificed all that he had for the sake of the lost world around him. That's what godliness looks like. And so to the godliness, you add these two kinds of love. You add brotherly kindness, um, which is a Greek word for brotherly love, a love that is born of the fact that you share a common bond and a commonness together as people in Jesus Christ, so you love one another. But then to your brotherly kindness, you're to add this agape love that we talk about all the time. It's a love that doesn't have any conditions and doesn't seek anything in return. It's a love that loves because someone else needs the love and we just give it. And it's a beautiful thing to give a gift when you're not expecting anything in return. It's a beautiful thing to give a gift when someone else doesn't deserve it. It's a beautiful thing to learn to love one another with an agape love. And one of the reasons that our relationships fail in this day and age is because we don't know about agape love. You hear a lot of chatter going on um, in politics today and in the courts today and everything else about justice. But justice without love is a very hollow thing. And Jesus came and he not only showed us justice, but he showed us love. And that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. And so if you're wondering what you're supposed to make every effort to do, you're supposed to make every effort to learn to love others with the love of God and with the love of Jesus Christ. 
It begins with faith. It works its way through goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and it leads to a, a sacrificial love, an unconditional love, a giving love. And then what this love, when you begin to see it in your life, what it leads to is a very much an effective life. Uh, there are many in this church that are getting to the place where we're starting to ask the question, um, have we lived a very effective life? Have we accomplished what, what we really want to accomplish? Are people going to remember us as someone who did some good things? And listen to what Peter says, that if you possess these qualities, the faith, the goodness, the self-control, the perseverance, the brotherly kindness, the godliness, and, and the sacrificial love, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you will keep from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. And God always wants us to be looking back to what Jesus did for us as a motivation to stay on the course for what lies ahead for anything that we do. That's why we come to the Lord's table as we do today on a regular basis. We come to remember that Jesus Christ died for us and therefore we have a life that we need to live for him. And if you want to be effective, go back to those verses that begin in, in verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 1 and start to add those qualities to your life and you'll find that you're very effective in doing the things that God wants you to do and you're productive in the things that God wants you to be productive about. And then finally, in this passage today, uh, you need to be certain of your calling. And I love the way that um, all of the apostles put this process, but in Second Peter he says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what Peter is trying to tell us here is, is that the confidence that you have in your salvation will increase with everything that you do for God and everything that you do to see your life changed. One of the times, whenever doubt rises up in my mind and I say, God, where have I been and where am I going? He always says to me, he says, take a look at who you were and what you are now. You're not the same person that you were when you committed your life to me in Jesus Christ. But the person that doesn't change his life and the person that doesn't have that to look back on always has doubts that rise up in their mind. I like the way that John writes this in 1 John 5.13. He says, I write these things to you, meaning the things in his epistle of 1 John, who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The word that John uses for know there is used only once in the entire New Testament. And it's a compound word in the Greek that says that you can know beyond any shadow of a doubt, that you can know with the greatest confidence that you have eternal life. But I write these things to you. And so then in order to figure that out, you've got to go back and look at what he has written. And he talks about the need to confess sin. He talks about the need to prepare for Jesus' coming. And more than anything, he talks about the same thing that Peter speaks of. He speaks of the need to make love a priority in your life. And so in 1 John 4, I just want to take a few verses from this just to show you the impact of it. He says, we love because he first loved us. See the connection to Jesus. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he who has given us this command 
And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. These are the things that John wrote that you might know that you have eternal life. If you will seek to love others and you see that love growing and prospering in your life, you're going to gain confidence in your Christian faith and you're going to know that God is at work in you. But one of the things that happens is, is many of us don't ever move on from the infancy of faith to add those things to our lives that need to radically change us. We don't participate in the divine nature that we've been given this privilege of cracking open and being a part of. We need to make certain of our calling. And we need to gain a confidence in who we are in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if it's Paul. It doesn't matter if it's John. It doesn't matter if it's Peter. All of these apostles are common in, in their assertion that you need to learn to love one another. And that all that goes back to the command of Jesus when the Pharisees came and testing him said, what's the greatest commandment? He says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. But there's another one that's like it. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. And the reality is, is that as we sit here this morning, there are many of us that cannot honestly say that we're loving God with all that we are, with every minute that, of every day. Uh, I got to tell you, um, I'm not a big fan of the time changes. I wish they would leave it all at daylight saving time in the summer because I like the light at the end of the day. I've never had a problem with getting up. But when we get to this time in the spring where we move the clock ahead and we lose an hour, you start to think, boy, I wish I had that hour back. I wish I had that hour. If, if, if you think you need it to sleep, fine. If you think you need it to do something else, fine. But you just wish you had the hour back. But every one of our hours belongs to God. Every little bit of our life belongs to God. And so we've been given everything that we need to participate in godliness. Don't think that you can't stand on that podium at the end of time and say that I've accomplished something for you, God. We have an empowered calling. We've been told to make every effort to go from faith to love. We've been told that if these are a part of our lives, we're going to have an effective life. And we've been told that we can have confidence in our salvation if we see love growing within us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of looking at this scripture this morning, and I pray that you would let us quiet our hearts for just a time now and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the times that I've failed you, and this week I want to seek you with all of my heart. And Father, I realize that what you want me to do is to see what Jesus has done for us and then to learn to love others in a like way. I pray, Father, that we would be a people that know brotherly kindness. I pray, Father, that we would be a people that know an unconditional love for others. And I pray that it would help us to be faithful in our ministry as your people in this troubled time. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.